welcome to X-Rated. My name is Ryan Whedon. And I'm a man who needs no introduction. So today... May I'd like to introduce to you the one, the only, Matt Fisher. Oh, my goodness. I love a, a nice, robust entry. You know I control the, uh, the sound effect of the crowd <laughs> clapping, right? I was talking about when I have sex. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, do you have to do that right now? We are recording, Matt. All right, Jensen. <laughs> Go to my room, just hang out for a bit. I mean, I hate to see him leave, but I love to watch him walk away. <laughs> Leonard Cohen has a poem that's essentially that sentiment. Jesus. Uh, it's not like the longest poem in the world. It's like one stanza, but it's like, I'm sorry that I didn't love you from your conversation or your smile. I don't have this memorized, so it's not going to rhyme. Uh, I'm sorry that I only loved you when I saw your ass as you walked away. <laughs> That's not going to fly in today's world, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, the poem does, like, say that he was, like, giving it, like, effort to, like, love her because of her personality mm-hmm. and, you know, her general congeniality. It's just that that didn't work. And then when she walked away, he was like, oh, I missed out. Mm. Well. He's dead now, so <laughs> it's fine. Hey, Matt, I got an idea. Sure. You know how we often end the podcast by asking people to, you know, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and tell their friends and everything like that? I do. I'm just wondering, what if we tried that at the beginning of the podcast this time? Well, we got one other review last time we did it, so I say let's do it again. Okay. Well, hey. Hey, listener. You. <laughs> you with the earbuds in. Hey, what I'm assuming is a guy. We know you're enjoying yourself. And you know that you haven't given us love on Apple Podcast. And if you have, thank you very much. We just ask that if, uh, if you're enjoying this content and having a good time, take a moment, write us a little review, and uh, give us a couple stars. You can uh, make that moment right now. Thank you. Greatly appreciated. You are the reason we do this, listener. That's a lie. We do this for us. <laughs> I do. I get excited like Monday mornings, like when that new episode's coming out. I'm like, I don't like leave for work until like my phone has gotten it. I actually, yeah, I'm enjoying this too. But I'm glad that there are people out there who are also enjoying it. It is comforting to know that there are tens of listeners out there. <laughs> now, there, there's a couple hundred of you now, I guess. Yeah. We could, we could probably do more for outreach, but guess what? We both suck at social media. <laughs> None of us have ever taken a marketing class, so other than just shameless self-promoting, we don't know how to get anything done. <laughs> if you have any ideas for how we can uh, promote this podcast, other than, which are two ideas I have on the idea board, blow up Dancy Guy outside of Matt's apartment who flops around <laughs> saying podcast recording, 
and uh, one of those uh, spinner people who has the signs and whoops it around. Well, we uh, can't listening to blow music. up the dancey guy because that's the only way we get the people on the street to be quiet long enough to record the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, good point. <laughs> All uh, right, I'll cross it off the board. <laughs> now, no, one idea. <laughs> oh, my God. So today. Oh, my God. We ha- we're bearing the lead. This is our 60th episode. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I lost count a long time ago. We're, I mean... 60? If 40's over the hill, this is in the valley. Yeah. Sisyphus can't even like push up that boulder from how low we are. No. It's pretty bad. Wow. Have you ever had sex with anyone in their 60s? I mean, I haven't checked IDs or anything like that. <laughs> your, your bartender instincts don't translate to the bedroom? No. <laughs> it's... I just imagine you. I wave them on in. <laughs> I just imagine you. You know, you guys are getting under the covers, getting cozy, and like you bring out like your black light to scan over their ID. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this, but I'm going to need to see some ID. <laughs> I mean, it's for your own safety. What if they're underage? Yeah, you have. Uh... I don't think a 60 year old's going to look. <laughs> I was going to say, but I don't know. You have facial dysphagia, so you can't tell how old someone is possible i don't know <laughs> i assume i'm talking to matt right <laughs> oh boy for our 60th episode as we do on the on the tens episodes we did a double feature mm-hmm. and this double feature is all about pp <laughs> right it's all about pp <laughs> the amazing the incomparable Parker, Parker Posey. Posey. It's hard to believe, but 30 episodes ago we did a tribute to Gina Gershon. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel like it was 30 episodes ago to me. And we're keeping up the tradition of every 30th episode honoring an actress near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. And in this situation, we've chosen the the great, funny, talented, and beautiful Parker Posey. Is there anything she can't do? I was about to say she can't turn me straight, but <laughs> I think she could for like one night. Like I don't know if I'd do like a long-term monogamous relationship with her, mm-hmm. but given the opportunity, yeah, I would hit that. To quote Donna Summer, I feel love <laughs> for Parker Posey. She's similar to Gina Gershon in that not every movie she's been in is stellar, but when she's on screen... You're like, this is a good movie. Yeah. You know? like She's able to, to make you believe that what you're watching is good because she's in it. Yeah, she's routinely like the centerpiece of a movie. Or, or at least, maybe not the centerpiece, but like the the diamond in the rough in a, a lot of the situations. Like, you know, she is worth watching a movie for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't realize how many of her movies, especially in the 90s, that I've seen. Oh, yeah? Until I started looking. But like... There were so many as I was going through the list where I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot she's in it. And there were so many realizing now that I would rent at the Blockbuster near my <laughs> house because they had her in it. Oh, okay. Like, she was, if she was on the cover or in the list of people that were in the, you know, cast, it was like, well, Parker Posey's in it. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I always forget that she's dazed and confused. That's how I first heard about her, I realized. Oh, really? Oh! She 
she has sort of that rare combination of like you want her to be your fruit fly but you could also date her not all women are both those things but she definitely is and you just know she's cool oh yeah <laughs> like well of course just you know she's a lot of fun to hang out with well she's in you know the the big christopher guest movies like the ones that we oh, all know yeah absolutely you know best in show and mighty win like she's Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. That's that unfor- unforgettable scene of her slowly waving the uh, the spatula over the grill with the sad little chicken breast. Guess I could just go back to the Dairy Queen, you know. They said they'd take me back. I always have a place at the Dairy Queen. That's one of those instances where you're like, okay, because she's cool, too, because she can do improv comedy. Mm-hmm. She can do scripted dramas. And, you know, she can she can do anything. Yeah. Like, she is an actress, like capital A actress. She learned how to play the mandolin for A Mighty Wind. Really? Yeah, that's her playing Jesus it. Jesus Christ. And, in fact, she ended up playing a mandolin on the... Dandy Warhol's record, Welcome to the Monkey House. She's the one playing mandolin on the song I Am Sound. I can already hear the music cue, just like when we learned that uh, Gina Gershon played the jaw harp on a Scissor Sisters album. I know! <laughs> Once I got to that point, I was reading about her, and I was like, and she learned to play an instrument and was on like several records. I was like, duh. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> she also, um, she dated Ryan Adams for a while. I don't know if you knew that. And was on... Um, <laughs> If anything, that's a notch against her. <laughs> she uh, she sang backup vocals on on uh, his album Rock and Roll. So oh okay yeah she's a uh, she's a musician as well. I, I want to go through a little bit some of the some of the things that she's that she's done that I've recognized her mm-hmm, from. Mm-hmm. Um, we already mentioned Dazed and Confused, Kicking and Screaming, the first Noah oh, Baumbach film. God. She has my favorite line in that, which is "Ding that, Skippy, get a fucking life." She was in uh, House of Yes. I don't know if you saw that. I did see that, and like once again, that's that's another good example of a movie where she is far and away the best part. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Acting against the dude who was in uh, Kicking and Screaming, the main character. Oh, okay. But I don't remember that actor's name. It's like, if she wasn't on screen in that movie, I literally could not give a fuck about it. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my favorite, the Doom Generation. Oh, yeah. She has the best line. Question. You you talked about how in Doom Generation, she's got your favorite line. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, or the, like the favorite part of the, in, in the case of the chicken with the spatula. Yeah. Now, do you think that the line itself is good, or do you think that she just knows how to work that line? It's how the to delivery. It? It's a hundred percent the delivery that she she sees potential in the script, and she's like, "I can make this work." Yeah. It's the thing that always gets me about it is is the uh, the pacing of that line, the way she like punctuates the rhythm of it. Okay. I'm gonna lop his dick off. Like a chicken head. It's just, it's beautiful. It's so good. Uh, It's a perfect line reading. (laughs) Do you see her work with directors like over and over again, like Greg Araki or Woody Allen or something like that? So you kind of get the idea that based on her performances and based on the fact that like she's asked to come back, that she's good at like playing that yeah. a lot of people think that like the director has like a vision for a scene and that everything has to go like according to like their meticulous plan but most of the time directors are, are hiring someone cuz like 
they like their style and they just like what they do and they put them in the movie because they don't want to have to step through motivation with them. They just want what they're doing. And it's like, I feel with Parker Posey, like she comes to the table and she plays with the scene and like she elevates it in a lot of times. And I mean, what better thing if you're a director than you see someone elevate something like better than what you had in your head. Yeah. And like, that's what Parker Posey does. Like she comes to the table with, and makes it better than how you originally thought it was going to be. She can come to the plate with nothing and make something out of it. By the way, we're drinking special drinks tonight. Mm. We're drinking Manhattans because... Both of our choices take place in Manhattan. I would also say Manhattan's like a third character in in both of these. Yeah. Actually, usually when people say that, I laugh because I think it's not true. But in this situation, I I would say that it's actually true. And we'll kind of, we'll dive into that. We'll get into into it. I know it's a cliche, but but I meant that as a joke. But the more I'm thinking about it, like, oh, actually. No, yeah, it actually, (laughs) I feel like it's kind of accurate. The two things we've chosen for today are Party Girl, which is a movie that she stars in, and a four-episode arc that she did on Louis C.K.'s TV show, Louis. And I almost want to start with that because, like I was going to say, the the strength of these Manhattans <laughs> makes me feel like I want to get the important one out of the way. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that this is the important one to you. <laughs> so I knew who Parker Posey was for a long time, and I, I liked her, but this is what made me love her, especially episode two uh, uh, that we'll be covering today. What are those episodes? We should mention them. So before. the first two are, are Daddy's Girlfriend, part one and two. Which are, These are all from season three. Too. Yes. Yes. All, all from season three of Louie. And then there's Looking for Liz. Half the episode is about Parker Posey, but she's not necessarily in it the whole time. I would argue that the whole episode is. Oh. We'll get there. We'll get to that. And then the last one is New Year's Eve, the last episode of season three. We decided that, you know, four 20-minute episodes, 80 to 90 minutes, it's like a little movie. And I'm going to argue that that Louis C.K. approaches his television show like a movie that these are short films i i would 100 percent agree so especially uh, daddy's girlfriend part two yeah you can look at the way that he uses just like film and sound like the soundtrack and things like that which he uses quite cinematically but he really uses like a visual medium like he doesn't always even though he's a comedian he doesn't tell the story through dialogue i guess i should say yeah and we're in a golden age of television where you see this a lot like it's it's not that louis ck is you know exclusive or yeah Yeah. unique in this like we're we're seeing it happen a lot more but in louis case because i feel that he some of his stuff gets a little arty like all through the show like there are like total segments where i'm like Oh God, he's just like up his own ass. <laughs> but he uses just like a lot of like arty techniques or avant-garde techniques in in the show. Sure. There's one in season one that's pretty famous, I think, where it's like he's talking to a woman and she decides to break up with him and she runs and the camera mm, pans mm-hmm. over and she gets into a helicopter and <laughs> flies away, mm-hmm. which like you don't see the helicopter until that moment kind of thing. So... Yeah. It's stuff like that, kind of absurdist humor. Yeah. 
So, you know, he's using the full medium at his disposal to, like, convey the stories. And Louis C.K., the show isn't always funny. Like, it's often very dark, and sometimes it's both. So, I don't know. Some people uh, take a lot of umbrage with one time he he had a a bit about the word faggot. Mm -hmm. And then, like, he addresses that on his show Mm -hmm. in, I think it's even episode one or something like that. Oh, where they're playing poker? Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's episode two. Yeah. And, uh... It's nice because I like that bit. I think it's funny. He ends up playing poker with one of his poker buddies is gay. And like they get to this point where it's like, do you find that offensive? And the guy's like, yeah, here's why. You might want to know that every gay man in America has probably had that word shouted at them when they're being beaten up. Sometimes many times. Sometimes by a lot of people all at once. So when you say it, you kind of brings that all back up and it's like it's real honest yeah and kind of shocking on a show where you think like that you're going to be laughing the whole time so he plays with that he plays with that line of drama and humor yeah i'm just going to say right now i'm a big fan of his stand-up even despite the recent <laughs> uh revelations so, i think he's hilarious yeah I, I i did sort of like study up on the truth that has sure. come out yeah because he's admitted it so. yeah and I feel like him and, like, say, in Season Zari and Harvey Weinstein, I think they've all gotten appropriate punishment so far. Like, Harvey Weinstein can go fuck himself and die. Like, oh nobody God. gives a Somebody shit what happens. Somebody set that man on fire. Yeah. Piece like, of nobody shit. gives a shit what happens to that guy anymore. <laughs> and it's like, Louis, he's, like, his stock fell. He's in, like, you know, jail. Not literal jail. but Comedy jail. Comedy jail. <laughs> showbiz jail right now. With, like, rubber bars. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. And, like, that's fine. And, like, he should be there for a while. Yeah. So far, I feel that no one has been unjustly punished by these new, like, revelations coming out. Sure. With Louis, because I studied up on it, so I was like, oh, God, we're going to be talking about Louis C.K. Like, I got to, like, get, like, my ducks in a row here. And it's, like, most of the accusations, like, it does sound like there was, like, some stuff that happened outside of this time period but most of it seemed to be between, like, the early 90s to 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is when he had a kid. Mm. Like, that's when, like, he started popping out children. Or not he, his wife did. Um, <laughs> and it sort of bothers me that, like, this is when you see sort of the break in his his form of sexual assault is when he had daughters, because, like, you know, you see, like, Republican congressmen, it's like, as a father and a husband, I'm appalled by these sexual allegations. Like, they can only relate to these things, like, through, like, their immediate people in their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at the history of it, it seems like there was still some isolated incidences after that, and that it predominantly happened, like, prior to 2005. But, my, it took a daughter for you to, like, realize that like you shouldn't sexually assault women like that's sort of problematic for me but like i don't know that's what it takes maybe just all sexual predators should have daughters i don't know i shouldn't say that (laughs) because that i feel like that could be also troublesome but yeah i don't have an answer i do know that for myself personally i know there are people who can't separate the work from the art from the creator. I can. <laughs> and I feel like I have to apologize for that when it's something made by Woody Allen or made by Louis C.K. because it's like his comedy and this 
show that we're going to be talking about today moves me oh, yeah. in ways that other art doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I can't completely r- write him off because mm-hmm. he did this shit. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's like, this is something I have been struggling with ever since, you know, this truth came out about him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mostly I'm mad about it because I have to, think about him in this way now because it's like fuck you that's disgusting i already thought of you as a gross disgusting human but i was able to laugh at it (laughs) yeah and now i can't laugh at it so fuck you and it doesn't tarnish his feelings because his humor his stand-up has like brought me out of very dark times Mm -hmm. and this show and especially watching these for this podcast i just want to say i'm really glad that we did i really enjoyed them a lot and i can't discredit that feeling you know like what what his art makes me feel has nothing to do with the fact that he masturbated in front of people. And I realize that there are people out there who can't separate that. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Maybe he should never be allowed to make anything again. Maybe that's, that's up for debate, but what he has created up until this point, if you can separate the two, it's very good. Yeah. And there's no way around that. I don't care how, what shitty things he did, what he created was good. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm on board with you. Like I, I definitely, I divorce art from artists. Like I'm a, you know, a big Woody Allen fan. I've seen forty out of the forty-two Woody Allen movies there are out there. Hey, that's an A. <laughs> I'm a big Roman Polanski fan. I listen to Michael Jackson. I like Phil Spector. <laughs> like you know, no. and you know, especially Phil Spector. He like shot people like he's a murderer (laughs) a fucking murderer then that's like the crux of my thing here is that like i understand that there are people who can't separate it and i totally respect that i can and i guess i don't feel guilty about that like being moved by something that was created by a monster yeah i don't know i i'm sorry yeah and i don't even think he's that monstrous like on the as we've, as you mentioned earlier, on the Aziz Anasari to Harvey Weinstein scale, I think he's a little closer to Aziz Anasari with this one. But uh, it just—not <laughs> that it's excusing anybody's behavior. It's just w- watching these episodes because he gets cu- kind of like partially naked, and yeah. I'm just like, oh my god! Like if if I was like stuck in a dressing room and he's like, can I jerk off in front of you? Uh, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> and he'd be like, thank you. Like, I'd be like, oh, that was disgusting. Let me out of here. You've got to wonder, like, did Parker Posey agree to this script as is? Or did she have to, like, argue for that point? Like, oh, this dress scene. Like, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Because I have heard that Louis C.K., despite how his character portrays it in the show that he himself actually kind of likes getting naked. I do, Especially in front too. of people. Well, in front of people. I mean, yeah, sure. I like getting <laughs> naked, too. You're both redheads. There's probably a 200-pound discrepancy between We have the a two bond. <laughs> I'm defending my fellow redhead brother. Justice for gingers. <laughs> oh, boy. We haven't even talked about these yet. So. No. <laughs> but it's import- it is important to get this out of the way because yeah. it's like, you know. When Elephant in the room. It's tough. And I was worried when it first started. When I first started watching this, I was like, oh, 
like the the theme song starts playing. You see him coming out of the subway, and I was like, "Oh, you fucker! You masturbated <laughs> in front of people." Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it faded away, and then I was just I was all caught up in what was going on. Yeah, so I don't know. I think it's important to talk about because, like, a we shouldn't forget that he did these things. No, 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 no. And like, I think that he should be put in entertainment jail for a while. Agreed. His pocketbook should hurt because of this. <clears throat> I at hope, the very least. I hope every new person he meets asks him, are you going to masturbate in front of me? <laughs> <laughs> for at least five years. People, for a while. <laughs> everyone should ask him that. If like, I ever meet Louis C.K., that's the first thing I'm going <laughs> to ask him before I shake his hand. There, There is an episode of Louis where it's like a flashback to him as a kid and like one of his schoolmates asks him to whip it out and it's like a traumatizing experience for him so he knows yeah anyway so the Louis is disgusting <laughs> but we we digress we're talking about parker posey we're talking about, we're talking about pp this isn't the the louis ck double feature just uh just to get us back into this i th- was skeptical of these four episodes working as a complete whole. Mm-hmm. And even while watching it, I was not sure if this was going to work. But on reflection, and maybe it's just because humans are always looking for connections and patterns, it kind of feels like a movie a little bit. A little bit. Especially if you think of it as focusing on Liz rather than Louie. It kind of worked. I'd forgotten there are sort of valleys without Parker Posey in this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this isn't working. Like, this needed to be, like, Parker Posey heavy. But overall, I still think that it works. So we have the first episode, Daddy's Girlfriend Part 1. Mm-hmm. Louis seems a little lovelorn. His kids, who... Those are the two greatest <laughs> child actors in existence. I was wondering, is those, are those his real kids? No. Would he do that? Okay, no, okay. But they're just... They're, they're great. They're cute like, AF. They are so good. The older daughter seems like the the sort of kid that you want who's just like chill i mean not without like problems or or kid drama but like the one that you can overall like get along with and yeah. sort of like talk to like an adult and explain things rationally yeah. like it's it's the, it's sort of the kid that like we all wish that we have and then there's the other kid <laughs> The Pig Newton's kid? The Pig Newton's kid. She goes, no, you don't know. You don't know. They're called Pig Newtons. Who is just like defiant as fuck. <laughs> and just like in your face and just has her own agenda on everything. When they're like just like eating french fries or burgers or whatever at that scene. And she's like, yeah. When are you gonna have a girlfriend? It's like, Jesus, just sorry. <laughs> rubbing it in. So the idea of like having someone special in his life is sort of sinking home with Louie. Mm-hmm. So he drops his kid off at school and he's thinking about kids and he starts uh, noticing that, hey, these teachers aren't so <laughs> yeah. unsexy after all. So a good example of Louie really treating the movie cinematically instead of just telling is that it doesn't just say like, oh, I thought that teacher was really cute. It plays this sort of music that's mm-hmm. going on and it starts, the camera starts lovingly following the teacher, you know, the way that like her body moves and stuff like that. And then, you know, cuts to how she's moving in real life. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> to close the door in his face. Yeah. He goes through a couple teachers that way and he like is imagining them playing with his kids and... Uh... Which... So, I mean, all right, you've been in a relationship for several years now. So, you know, you've probably forgotten what romantic love is like. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. Can you say that word again? (laughs) 
But it's like when you sort of like meet someone that you're attracted to or or something like that, you sort of like inject them mentally into like the patterns of your life. Yeah. Like you start thinking like, oh, what will my friends think of them? Or, you know, would they like uh, mesh well with like da da da? There's sort of like the, the visual implication or the visual equivalent of that where he starts imagining these women in his life, like non-sexually in most of the situations, just like how will they get along with my kids and, you know, things like that. Except for one <laughs> who is like, she's perfect. And then he starts to imagine them having a sex life and she's like, I only like it this way. Is that okay? Oh, but we're skipping over something. Friggin' Maria Bamford. Oh my God. She's at the beginning of this episode. He's like, apparently, this, and this is clearly a joke, is that they have this relationship where they can just, they're like fuck buddies, basically. Yeah. It's like, hey, you want to come over? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and then they bone and they're watching like a version of Big Brother. And can we just agree that Big Brother is the worst show that was ever conceived I of? I have never once seen an episode of Big Brother. Oh, just even the concept is fucked. Isn't it just like real world but like less of a budget yeah it's real world but there are certain times where they're scheduled and they have to all just be in this room together okay this one room with these bright glaring lights stupid (laughs) and people get voted off like so it's 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 not like real world in that way like you you can get voted off but it's not like you even have competitions you're just like hanging out and if somebody doesn't like you it's a popularity contest i guess i've never watched it but it sounds so gross it's not like The Bachelor where like you can like form alliances or something. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know how you get voted off. I don't even care. <laughs> the idea of it sickens me. Okay. Why do I want to watch people hanging out? And... It doesn't that matter. one dude was hot. Is that a reason to watch a TV show, Matt? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> anyway, I'm so glad they made fun of it and they do it really well. Anyway, he starts to try and put the moves on Maria and she's like, ugh. No, she she asked if they can have sex again in a couple minutes. Right, right. I meant, I meant when I meant moves, I meant the the relationship moves because he's like, "Hey, oh yeah, you want to meet my children?" And she's like, "Ugh, no." no. <laughs> and then she gets all in her head about it, and it's a it's a whole thing. I love. It. She's like, "Jesus, no, I'm all dicked up in the head. No, it's so simple with you." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I brought it up. I'm sorry. I dicked you up in the head. And God bless Maria Bamford. Jesus, I love I'm, her. I'm fresh off. Like a couple weeks ago, I watched Lady Dynamite season two. Like mm-hmm. in an afternoon. Like I just sat down, watched it, the whole thing without even thinking. It's so good. And it's sort of funny to watch her in like a different type of setting because like Lady Dynamite is like, like her, That's her version world. of reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so to see her in someone else's reality is sort of funny just by itself. You're bad at sex. You're okay. Bad at, you're bad at it. Okay. No, it's one thing you're not good at, Louie. Okay. Anyway, so he's ogling the teachers, and then he wanders into a bookstore at one point because, you know, he's in New York, and he's looking around, and then he sees this very cute bookstore employee. Mm-hmm. It turns out that cashier is pee-pee. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He worms his way into finding a way to talk to her some more. And she recommends a book for Mm -hmm. his daughter that actually was a thoughtful recommendation. Yeah, so he approached it with, like, all the delicacy of, like, a lumberjack. (laughs) He's like, I want a book on flowers. Flowers. (laughs) You mean, like, information about flowers? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I... Um, I need a book about my uh, about 
for my kid about flowers, for a oh. child. Okay, I love the kids' books. You do? Yeah, mine. Oh, this whole time he's having flash-forwards of them, like he did with the teachers. But it's like flash-forwards of her reading, reading books with, a her, picnic. with his daughters. and There's one flash of like them making out in like the book stands. Right. But yeah, so he starts like immediately injecting her into like his... I, I want to say non-romantic fantasy life. Yeah. Like, he, he wants Parker Posey to be part of his, like, everyday life. Like, yeah. his family life. But he's kind of a creep about it. Like, I don't know. It's kind of gross. <sighs> I mean, he eventually, I mean, he comes back and he's, like, trying to find excuses to talk to her again. Mm-hmm. And, and she's... She actually seems like pretty eager to talk to him. Like it, you get the impression that she was like, "I'm glad you're back. Like I, I, I liked you too. I want to talk to you." That scene when he's trying to find a book for his older daughter, and she talks about like, "Give her this, but tell her not to read it at night because it's too scary." Oh well. No, maybe. the idea is that she will read it at night. It'll be like a little wrongful thrill for her. I'm like, God, she just gets it. Like, I know that Louis, like, wrote it, but Parker Posey sells it. Like, I'm watching it, and, like, I'm getting excited at, like, how helpful. Like, she's helping him with a book, but she's helping him with life. Like, she's helping him be a better parent. I like the idea. She says something along the lines of, like, I don't want to break the covenant of, of what it is to be a little girl. The kind of things you want to keep from your parents and everyone oh, yeah. else in the world. Sure. But I will yeah. say this. There are things that it, about being female that at that age, it starts coming online. And I like the idea that just like in that little phrase of words, that there's this whole world of growing up that I have no idea about. <laughs> Even though growing up... my my only friends were girls, you know? Mm-hmm. And there still is this portion. You are of, welcomed into the kingdom. I, w- I mean, like, I, there's, I will never understand what it means to get a period. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> will never know. Yeah. And, like, what it means to be going through puberty as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, so... As I explained, so- when, when Bettina was here, I only found out what toxic shock was, like, two or three years ago. <laughs> I just think that's cool. I used to think you just like put a peer, uh, period. You just put a, a tampon in and you're good for the week. Yeah. And I f- found out that that is not how it works. You gotta change that shit. So. Good day. Yeah. yeah. Like in a couple hours. How fucking scary would it be if you got your period before you had like sex ed? You're just oh, like yeah. all of a sudden carrying. Carry. Yeah. Or yeah. Or you weren't. You didn't have sex ed. You're like homeschooled or something, and all of a sudden you're just bleeding out of your crotch. Jesus. I know people made like a big fucking deal because uh, New York City started offering free tampons. Like they made it that all women, regardless of income, could get tampons at no charge. Why is that a big deal? That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was like especially like if you're homeless, and you have to choose between like food. And yeah. tampons, yeah. like, yeah, that sounds like a horrible. Give them the tampons. Yeah, I don't remember which comedian made it made this joke, but it was like, if men got pregnant, there'd be abortion clinics behind every AMPM. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if men got periods, like y- we'd be overflowing with free tampons. Like it'd be no question about it. By the way, let's take taxes off feminine hygiene products right now. I read about that and was like, yeah, that's bullshit. I mean, it's bad enough they have to pay for them. Like, fuck this. <laughs> Is there a special tax or just sales tax? No, it's a sales tax. Oh. 
I think that is bullshit. Men never have to buy that shit. No. Never. Mm -mm. Tax-free. Hashtag tax-free tampons. (laughs) Hashtag tax-free pads. Ryan and Kotex cares. (laughs) Anyway. He eventually asks her out for a date in the most shitty, awkward way that I'm... It's basically like the equivalent of like, can I jack off in front of you and then you just start jacking off before they can say yes or no? She handles it well. Oh, she's got the best response. But fucking A, dude. Yeah. Don't put words in her mouth. One thing I really like about that scene is how much nonverbal acting Parker Posey does in that. She's nodding and smiling and just reacting 100% without saying a single word. And it's like you're watching her more than you're watching him in that scene. Oh, the whole time. And you know she's just formulating her response. Yeah. Which is gold. I don't take guys. I'm a lesbian. And then like as she after she's like, yeah, yeah, fine. Meet me here after work. And then her line is something. What was it? It's like. Nice job on the asking out. Thank you. I liked it. A plus. And this is one of those things like this is how I imagine her in real life. Yeah. Like I said earlier, like I would go straight for her because like she's so awesome. She's so cool. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Louis, Roll credits. Louis psyched that he has a date with a girl that he likes. And then episode two opens on them uh, meeting up. Like he's standing outside the bookstore and she walks out. Yes. At the, at the end of episode one, she was like, meet me here at eight when I get off. And uh, he does. And their date starts. Yeah. So this is where... We get a little bit more of PP. Before we even start, this episode is magic. Oh, my God. If you only watch one of these episodes, this is the one. I Some of the best TV I've ever seen. I'm, like, welling up thinking about it. Me, too. It's so (laughs) good. I'm, like, I I literally (laughs) have goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm crying. Look at me. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So they meet up. She's like, let's go to a bar. I know a bar. Yeah. They go to a bar. It's crowded, noisy. Band's probably playing. She's like, what do you want? Doesn't even wait for him to respond. Runs up to the bar. Orders two Jaegers and a beer. And the bartender's like, honey, I'm not going to serve you two Jaegers. What? Not after the last time you were here. I'm not going to start you off too fisted with Jaeger. I'm sorry. And she just gets this look on her face. And you can't read it entirely. It's either... She's so pissed that this person doesn't realize who she is that she doesn't even want to deal with it and wants to just try something else. Or B, she doesn't remember what this person's talking about and it's like, oh, fuck, is this possible? Either way, she's like, let's get out of here. I kind of took it as like this bartender is like harshing her life buzz Mm -hmm. that it's like she's on a date, she's excited, and like the first step she takes into being like, let's go have fun is like, halted yeah and it's like fuck she won't take it she won't settle for that step one like you know fucking defeating me Mm -hmm. but then this also kind of like because the bartender says like not how i'm not starting you out like two-fisted with jaeger after how you were last time yeah so you're kind of getting this implication that like oh she's a party girl (laughs) i i can see that i don't know why she wanted to leave and i don't care they left. That's the point. Yeah. They decided to have a New York moment and just walk around in New York. 
I love the idea of just just walking around, walking around the city. I mean, what ours isn't as exciting as say New York, but yeah. I mean, what Parker Posey says is like you can keep walking and walking and walking and like never hit the same part of the city. Yeah, is true of New York. Like, yeah, Seattle's sort of sprawling. But, like, there's not that many places to, like, really walk to proper. Mm -hmm. And I always say this about Seattle. Seattle's the biggest little city in America. Mm. Like, if you go to, like, really any other big city, if you go to Chicago, if you go to New York, (laughs) even Boston, which is, like, smaller landmass-wise, but has, like, twice the population of Seattle, Mm -hmm. like, it feels bigger. Like, the buildings are taller, and it just, it it has a different feel to it. It just leaks history. I just, I remember, I haven't been to New York in over a decade now, but when I came back to Seattle, I was like, God, this is such a fucking one-horse town. Yeah. I love Seattle, lived here basically all my life, plan on staying here, but it is really, really small when you compare it to, like, other cities totally and the two times i've been to new york my favorite thing has been to just walk around manhattan Mm -hmm. like there is nothing boring about just walking in new york Mm -hmm. i mean it really is a fascinating place and i loved going along with them on this date because i love the idea of like hey let's just walk because there's something everywhere here and Let's see. Do they go to the clothing store first? Is that their first? Uh, well, first thing she does is tell them is tell him she had cancer. Oh yeah, uh, carcinoma. Yeah, whatever she that is. Died. I don't even know what that is. Carcinoma, I think, means really bad. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but yeah, she she talks about her. But yeah, her she carcinoma. says she says she's like staring death in the face. At 15, thinking she's going to die. I have one picture of me from back then. I made my dad take it. It looked like a 90 year old woman. And then death, you know, backs away into the mist, and all of a sudden my body's accepting nutrients, and within a month I'm a healthy 15-year-old girl with a cool punky haircut. By the way, I can 100% picture Parker Posey, 15, with a punky haircut. Oh, duh. Like, I feel like Louis C.K. must have saw her at 15 and was like, okay, well, I need to make that her character now. Easy. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she does that whole scene. And then, yeah, the next thing she does is she's like, let's go in here just randomly. She's like, okay. And it's a vintage store. And she's like, try on this dress. Yeah. And he's at first reluctant. But then she gets, she pushes him into the dressing room and he does it. Yeah. Because the words that convinces him and she's like, well, what do you want to do? You want to say a list of things you think might impress me? Or do you want to try this on and make me really like you? And I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like. Well, that is the way that you try to impress somebody is like, oh, I've done this, well, I've done sl- this. Slightly blah. earlier when she's like... My favorite part of New York is that you could just walk and walk and you never run out of city. Yeah, I love walking in New York. I love it. You do? Yeah, sure. Are you just saying that because you're on a date? You want to agree with me? Totally, I hate walking. See? Don't do that. <laughs> just tell me the truth. I like to disagree. I mean, this is not a way people act Mm-mm. IRL, <laughs> but it's so awesome to see it on screen Mm because you're like that's how you feel Mm -hmm. that's a good reason why i like this episode so much because it makes it it's putting on screen what you wish people were like yeah she she's cutting through the treacle like she's cutting Mm -hmm. through like the niceties and like the sweetness that you put on our first date and like actually getting to like the meat of what people are yeah she just has no time for bullshit or pleasantries like she's just getting right to it yeah and she's happy to end it if he's not on board with that yeah Anyway, he tries on the dress. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. And then she gives him a kiss, and it's like, that was great. 
Oh yeah. Then the next thing is that she asks. He asks her. They realize they didn't. They haven't even exchanged names. They don't oh, even know each other's names. Right. Right. He's straightforward. Like I'm Louie, and she she gives him this big story about how her name's tape recorder. White tape recorder. I guess um, it was sitting on my dad's desk, and they were fighting, and he just pointed at it and said, "We'll call her that for now." So that's my name. I mean, I was almost believing it for a second. I was like, "Is her name really going to be tape recorder?" Her like her face when she's like breaking was so good, like because mm. it. He's like, "Oh my god, that that's terrible," and she's like smiling, holding back, laughing. <laughs> holding back a smile. And she's like, I was totally joking with you and you 100% bought it. She's like, wow. I gotta be careful with you. And then they go to some place called Russ and Daughters. Can I just say, a deli seems like a really fun place for a date. Like, there's all this weird food that you can try. It's like cured fish and pickled vegetables and, and fish roe. Yeah, I was going to say various types of roe. And it looks like salty, delicious treats. And then they pull out this delicious, like, chocolate bread. I wanted to eat a lot of those things. Because it, it, it seems like such a fun place to have a date because you're picking out, like, these exotic types of food. Like, you don't know what you're in for. It's sort of like a safe little adventure. No. And But you're also eating. Like, that's always good on a date. Yeah. And judging by their reactions, it was delicious food. I don't know. It just looked like a fun place to go. Sure. Like, not that the place itself was fun, but, like, I would like to go there just because, like, the food looked good and exotic and interesting. And, and I want to do it the way she did it, where she's like, we want to try all your best things. Yeah. Just give me a little bit of everything. You can't go to a restaurant and say, like, I want to try all your best things because that's, like, that's too many courses. Like, you have to go to a place like a deli where the courses are small. Yeah, and it also is, like, it symbolizes sort of their, the excitement of this date. Like, mm -hmm. Louis clearly trying new things. Like, first mm -hmm. of all, the place he's going to is new, but then... He's eating things he's never had before, and he is loving it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Best thing I ever mm -hmm. Best thing I ever Well, as we talked about in the James Bond episode, I love, like, all things pickled. So, like, yeah. that, the, like, herring that they ate. Like, oh, man. I just, I want that. I was excited, and that's not usually my bag. Yeah. No, it's just, it's solid-looking deli food there. After that, she knows this building where the door is always open, and they can go up the stairs to the roof and starts making him go up the stairs. And, you know, Louis C.K. is not, he, in his words, he's 44 and I don't exercise, okay? So he quits pretty early and she's like, no, we're going to do this. Yeah. And it's it's such an interesting sh scene because it's, it is, she gets him to start going after he initially says, I can't do this. And then they go up several flights and eventually gets to a point where he says no. And then she kind of flips out on him. Do it! You got a kid. Okay. Well, I, I thought the flipping out was like for play. Like she knew that just begging him or egging him on wouldn't do it. So she goes full drill sergeant on him. It's like, no, you're going to do this. Yeah. If maybe it felt not out oh, yeah. of character because like I I'm, I have no expectations she, of this character. She's a wild point. card right now. Yeah. But it, it felt we haven't seen her do this before. We haven't seen her get to this emotional level. And it felt abrupt to me. Yeah. We haven't seen her angry at any point. Like mm -hmm. we've seen her like frustrated or upset 
you know, on this date already, but this is the first time that it seems like she's audibly angry. Yeah. It's almost like, I like you so much, and if you can't fucking do these stairs, I'm going to be really pissed. Yeah. So maybe that just speaks to her character as like knowing that that's what he needed in that moment. But it is shocking as Mm -hmm. an audience member to see her just yelling at him that way. Anyway, they get to the top and oh my God, my palms started sweating. I know. Because they're on this roof and it's not a roof with a guardrail. I'd say it's like one or two feet tall Edge. edge. Yeah. And... She just walks right up to it and falls down <laughs> on like the edge, just looking over. Yeah, so I had to I, pause it. I was so uncomfortable. I mean, it, it. We don't know exactly how tall the building is, but you get the idea that it's you know thirty stories or At something least, like that. Yeah, you know, judging by you know the other buildings that you can see, and judging by how tired Louie was, like you're you're thinking that it's like a thirty story building. It looks really tall. And he's like, I'm uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. And she's like, no, it's fine, whatever. And she ends up she, sitting on the ledge. Yeah, she she's sitting on the edge. And the, she's like, look at the view. Look at the skyline. Like, isn't this amazing? Like, wasn't this worth it? And he's like, not really. <laughs> All I can think about is, like, how scary it is that you're sitting on the yeah, ledge. Yeah, and he's begging her to, like, get away from the edge. He's like, that's so scary. Like, you're really making me uncomfortable the way that you're sitting on the edge like that. And then she gives that speech, and I don't like want to ruin it for people who haven't seen the episode. But every time I watch it, I either well up or cry. And I cried last night, like while it was going on, because it's it it's that truth of like, yeah, that's exactly why. Like you wouldn't fall off just sitting there. I mean, we can say it. More is impossible that falling can happen. But the only way I'd fall is if I jumped. That's why you're afraid to come over here. Because a tiny part of you wants to jump. Because it would be so easy. But I don't want to jump. So I'm not afraid. I would never do that. I'm having too good of a time. She looks beautiful in that moment. The way she's filmed, there's she just like she has the skyline behind her. She is glowing, smiling, and then she just sort of turns. Yeah. And has a, a look that makes you think, maybe she's not. Something shifted in her. Something in that moment. Off. Yeah. And they go back, like they start walking back down and then she tells Louie her real name. My name's Liz. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. And just it's... that that climax when Liz is, is explaining why Louie's so afraid of the edge. Like, it, it really does get me every time. I've seen this episode four or five times now. It only rings more true as I get older. I read an interview with her about this... And she mentioned, she said a word that, or two words, I guess, that are that have kind of stuck in my brain about her character in these episodes. And that's that people you don't know are basically haunted houses. And the more you get to know them, you're, you know, you're, you're like navigating through their slowly opening doors and turning on lights and finding out things. But you don't know. You have no idea who a person is and how they're going to react to things you do. And so 
watching this, it's really interesting to see that ending of her being like, I'm so happy. Everything's great. And you kind of get the, that impression that like, she's an open book until she makes that turn. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, there's still rooms we haven't explored in this woman, even though she's a full character yeah and a person like yeah real feeling person there's still more to her that we don't know yeah and i like that a lot i I like that she feels as three-dimensional as she is we haven't explored all her dimensions yeah and that's how we leave it (laughs) and so i've talked about this before with like world building in movies where you know part of what what makes you like a movie is feeling that you're only seeing part of like the world that they live in and that good world building make makes your imagination sort of fill in the blanks. And I think that Louis C. kind of wrote this character as a world almost like we get a glimpse of this person. It's a full well-rounded person, but there's more to this person than we're seeing so far. And that makes you kind of, curious in your imagination run with this person this character Mm -hmm. that's great character writing then if you think that there's a whole world inside this one character that we've known for like 30 minutes yeah she doesn't get a lot of screen time in that first part yeah like you know she's in half the first episode and then the entirety of this one but she feels real yeah Like we're feeling her like we're we're on board with her worldview at this point. I guess at this point, it's really important to note that I didn't fucking look at Louis C.K. once in this episode. Oh, no. Parker Posey is so electrifying the whole way through Mm -hmm. that you don't even kind of know that he's there. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the show's called Louis. She's the star of this episode. Absolutely. And before we get into the other two real quick, I, I have a question for you. I watched this episode twice, and the first time I didn't see it so much, but the second time I did. She kind of has that m- manic pixie dream girl quality to her Yeah, that uh, is something that people have, you know, pointed out about a lot of movies. Do you, and I, I Her don't, movies? No, no, no. Oh. I'm just like in general, it's like a problem that's been happening since Garden State, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But um, I feel like that may not be an applicable label to this character, but I'm curious how you feel about it. Oh, no, I feel like, especially if you watch the two episodes back to back, because it's like she works in a bookstore and at work, she's very professional. But when she's out of work, she sort of cuts loose. And to like label her as like Manic Pixie, I think is just a little short-sighted because like some women are happy and excited like i don't know i i feel like labeling the manic pixie is just sort of a way to like put them in a box as opposed to just embracing them mm-hmm. for for the type of person that they are it's an archetype that has kind of been developed where it's like there's like a schlub a sad sad sack <laughs> And then some girl who's, like, wacky and quirky and odd, like, breaks him out of his shell. Yeah. And, like, you can kind I I can see that. It is sort of a modern archetype, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see that temptation in this episode. I don't agree because I feel like she's, she's, A, she's a woman. And I feel like she's also haunted in in an ambiguous way rather than like you know Natalie Portman's like oh, I have epilepsy or something like that it's like it's Is that an what obvious her problem was 
Was that? Is that what her problem was? I don't was? remember. She wore and a not helmet. Not that she listened to the shins too much. <laughs> but it's like it's it was so easy to like pinpoint what her what her deal was. I would love it if Natalie Portman was like, "Oh, you you have to this band will change your life." Who is it? Butt trumpet. Chumba <laughs> Wumba. <laughs> I feel like I need to. We need to talk about it just because it is such an archetype, I, and it, I, it can I guess be applied in yeah, this like, situation. But I, I don't agree with in it. A, in a post Zoe Deschanel society, I, I guess it is sort of important to talk about how, like, you know, hashtag not all uh, manic pixies. I guess, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's an easy way to characterize sort of upspirited or happy women mm-hmm. who just refuse to be bogged down. I guess. It's also easy to like call her bipolar too and be like she's yeah. having a manic episode at this point but it's like maybe we can just accept the fact that this is a normal person who's excited to be on a date. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel that she really falls into that category. I guess this actually like flows into the third episode because he eventually goes back to the bookstore and she's quit or left. Yeah. And he, there's somebody else there who's it took her place who's played by Chloe Sevigny. This is what makes me bring this up is because like she is supposed to be like the manic pixie dream girl in a way where she's like, no, we have to discover where she is. It's important for love. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like she kind of takes Louie on a similar journey where mm-hmm. it's like, this is important. We have to go this way. But it's not. It feels fake. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely feels forced. Forced. That's a better word. Yeah. Because she's like, this has to happen. You have to find your true love. I'm married, so this can't happen between us. But, like, we have to find your love. And, and it's, but it, but it's like the premise is sort of similar in, in the way where it's like, Louis just like, I'm, I'm just on this train. You know, mm-hmm. you take me where you want to go in a way. Mm-hmm. But, like, when he's with Liz, it doesn't feel gross. But when he's with Chloe Sevigny's character, it feels like, Dude, don't go with her. She's obviously crazy. <laughs> Is it, I mean, at what point did you think she was crazy? How how long before or after she masturbated in the coffee shop did you think that she was crazy? What are you doing? Before, yeah, when she's like, I'm going in there anyway. We're gonna meet Liz when she went into the apartment building. Oh, I'm like, where I'm out. This is weird. <laughs> but they even like meet up the same way where she's like, I'm almost done. Meet me outside. Yeah, and it's like the same shot, except it, like it's during the day, and she's cute. I mean, oh, like, yeah, clearly, totally. like, oh yeah, if you were maybe younger. Like you might be, I could see if why Louis was younger. Yeah, if yeah. if like our male protagonist was younger, I could see them like being more romantically involved in this. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. As a thirty-seven-year-old, it was like Jesus. One thing that I also want to talk about: I hate talking about women actresses' looks because I feel like it's sort of demeaning. And but like, I'm gonna do it anyway in this instance. Because at the end of episode two, there's like just a series of like close-ups in black and white of Parker Post's face. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah, yeah. She looks great, and she doesn't look like she's had one ounce of work done. Mm -mm. Like she looks like she has embraced age totally naturally. You know, whatever may come, she's taken it, and she looks so good. 
And I think that the reason they put that on there is because Louis at that point sees her as a person rather than like just this mother to his children. Mm. Cause like it's in black and white, which is how he was like picturing all the other teachers, etc. And she goes through a range of emotions. She's laughing, she's smiling, she gets really sad, she gets introspective, like he, he realizes that she's a fully realized person. So that's a nice that's a nice touch. I like this episode in the context of this being like a movie mm-hmm. arc because the whole episode I'm just aching for Parker Posey. <laughs> and she's missing. Yeah. Like that's the whole that's the whole episode is we, it's called we get looking flashes for Liz. of her mm-hmm. from his dream perspective at the beginning. Which I love I like that dream sequence. Cause it's just flashes, which is how I feel like when you're actually like missing someone. Mm-hmm. That is how it happens. Like you're trying to sleep, and this person is just flashing in your head intermittently. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought it was a very good cinematic depiction of how someone sort of sticks in your thoughts long term. And then we, the audience, miss her through the whole episode. Yeah, because you sort of think that she's going to appear at some point, but she doesn't. Yeah, and then later, his oldest daughter goes missing, and you feel that this is somehow thematically in line with the previous part of the episode absolutely because it's he believes that she is missing because something he did okay and it turns out she just needed some alone time Mm. it wasn't about louis at all right because it turns out that she he, there's this whole thing where he like he's looking for his daughter can't find her calls the police she comes over and then she like walks out and she's like daddy why are the police here where have you been in the closet i read in there sometimes she just needed some alone time and he thought that she left because he was mad at her da, 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 and it turns out no she just wanted to be alone for a while with her headphones on and reading her book that was given to her that was recommended by uh liz so maybe the reason that liz doesn't want to hang out with him doesn't have to do with Louie. Maybe mm. she just needs some alone time, you know? Maybe the reason she didn't give him his phone number was because even though they had a great date from our perspective, the audience, maybe Liz was like, I don't want to be with that guy right yeah. now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Because later when they meet up, she seems excited to see him. But like, you know, maybe her not giving him his phone number wasn't about him. Maybe she was just in her head. It's important to sort of make people realize an ex-boyfriend i don't i won't name names but any slight was always against him in his mind and it was always a struggle to to make him realize like people don't give a shit <laughs> like <laughs> yeah not everything is about you <sighs> like sometimes people are flaky because they're flaky and they're not flaky because of you it drove me crazy and like i always felt like i had to drive that point home like no not everything that someone does has to do with something you did. Sometimes people are just what they are independent of you. Which was nice about this, because it made me think, like, I was aching for Parker Posey. I honestly didn't connect those two parts of the episode, but, like, now that you've explained, I'm like, oh, no. Like, thematically, they are sort of, like, women gone missing, and that if his daughter going missing had any connection to Liz going missing, then, yeah, I was like, no, it had nothing to fucking do with Louis. She just needed some alone time. Yeah. Like, good on her for taking her alone time. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, the whole time he's like, oh, I, I didn't get her number, and we had a great time. But, like, we don't know how Liz feels. We have yeah. no idea how Liz feels about the date. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, 
This brings us to the fourth episode, New Year's Eve. Starts Can't out- we just pretend that Liz like lived a happy life after this? So the first part of the first half of the episode is Christmas Day. And a lot of it is, is sort of flashbacks of Louis getting ready for Christmas Day. And <laughs> how hard it is being a dad. <laughs> I he can't wrap presents. And the little porcelain doll that he got for his daughter has eyes missing. I did think it was funny. When, like It went a little too far for me, but I did like it when he couldn't find them at first and started digging in the, the skull with a chopstick. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that was pretty funny. I, I wonder in that, that part where like he ruins that doll. Cause like the daughter pulls out the doll. She's like, Oh, it's beautiful. And then like, it flashes back to like him destroying the doll to like get the eyes. I was like, did he just order a new doll? That's or- what I was assuming. Because when the mom comes over with Patrick, Patrick looks at the doll and sort of looks under the wig yeah. and Louie kind of freaks out a little bit. <laughs> no, and no, I no. was like, oh, was that the same doll? Did he actually make it work? It's funny. I mean, I can't imagine he made that work because like, he fucking ruined that doll. But Anyway, Louis, after his daughters leave, Louis cleans up the apartment, throws the tree out the window. <laughs> out the and- window. <laughs> Shoves it out the living room window. That is that is like part of the show's charm is that like there is some absurdist humor thrown in there, which I don't know. I laughed when that happened when he did. Yeah, that. but then you know he's obviously having some trouble with. He's a sad sack of shit after that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's sad. eating Hostess cakes like in bed at like two p.m. trying to sleep. He has a dream of his daughters all grown up. He is all alone. Just alone and not with anybody. That's pretty good. Did you notice, real fast, the names of the newscasters that he was wa- uh, when he was watching no. the show? I wrote them down because they're pretty funny. The woman's name is Fanny Chapcranter. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's name is Flappy Hauserton. <laughs> I like what they're talking about, too. They're just like... More than 500 New Yorkers are expected to take their own lives tonight, especially those who are spending New Year's Eve by themselves. All by themselves. Alone with no one near your body. Go ahead and put that gun in your mouth. (sighs) That's good stuff. (laughs) But his sister calls him up, who's played by Amy Poehler, and was like, just come with us to Mexico. Yay, another woman that I like. Yes, she's great. It sounds like Louis is just going to do it at one point. He's like, fuck it. This is sad. I'm going to go. And he's always on the bus to get to the airport. And who should he see on the bus? Liz, Parker Posey. And you know what? He doesn't see her until she gets up to give her seat to an old woman. Yeah. And she, like, cheerfully is like, do you need a seat? Like, she's happy. Yeah, she's like, there you go. She's enthusiastic about giving this old woman her seat. And then he sees her. She turns around. She sees him. And... I personally, my heart soared in that moment. I was like, there she is. (laughs) And like the music swells and they're both standing up. They're both, it looks like she looks excited to see him. How fleeting your passion. And then nightmares happen. Her nose starts bleeding on the bus. Both both nostrils. nostrils. Chaos. They take her to the hospital and he's like given what little medical information that he has on her like he doesn't even know her last name yeah they had one date he's like you know i, I know that she had cancer as a kid and she's like well what type of cancer is coming back it's strong it's like not joking around and like he goes into the room and like she's like am i dying, am I dying? Uh, I don't know 
I'm not ready for this. This is crazy. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be all right. I don't think so. Oh, Louie. Yeah. Bye. And then dies. And they're like, call it 11.59 p.m. And he walks out of the room and you can hear people counting down New Year's. Uh. And it's such a weird scene to watch because, like, it's sort of funny because everyone's fucking happy. <laughs> yeah, and also her death just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like, it's like her nose starts bleeding and, like, two minutes later she's declared dead. It's nuts. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's walking through this hospital, like, the sad sack of shit that he is, while everyone else is fucking partying. Tears it's in years. his eyes, yeah. So he goes to the airport, guessing he's still going to go to Mexico, and he says, no, I'm going to China. Yeah, because he read some his some book to his kids about the Yangtze River and yeah. decides to go find it. And... and I thought that was a callback to their date, too, because there's a part where she's like... Have you ever been in North Dakota? No. Neither have I, but I want to go to North Dakota more than anything in the world. So why don't you go? I'll never go. I just want to. I want to keep desiring it. And so he, I think he kind of like took that into account and was like, well, I don't. I want to go there. So, I don't know. I thought the whole Yangtze River thing was... Meh. Yeah, we didn't even really have to talk about it. No, except I'm for fine. one thing. Yeah. What's up with three-wheeled trucks in countries that aren't America? <laughs> I feel like they're everywhere else. Why don't we have three-wheeled trucks? Yeah, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, triangles are very sturdy shapes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it would lend itself to pyramids being very sturdy shapes. Especially if your payload's on the in the part with two wheels yeah also less maintenance you only have three wheels to worry about yeah you rotate one, one the tires. axle as opposed to two yeah rotating the tires it cuts down like 25 percent of the job hmm we'll get on that but yeah those episodes season three of louis is a, a very strong season in general mm-hmm but this is where I really, really fell in love with Parker Posey. Like, I knew who she was before this, and I adored her before this, but, like, this drove it home. You could put anyone in Louis C.K.'s place and probably still feel the same, but, like, you couldn't replace Parker Posey in this no. situation. Like, it takes someone like her to make that role work. Yeah, she's a star. I think you should take a break so I can pee. Yeah. I'm going to make another drink. Oh, Can I read the text that you sent me? Uh, when I asked, like, what should we have to drink tonight? Sure. We could do a mocktail that's cranberry, orange juice, and a twist of lime, but with vodka. <laughs> so not a mocktail at all. Uh, like the old alcoholic and party girl drinks, but with vodka. Oh, or Manhattans, because both movies take place in New York. I like how you had a fully formed thought and reasoning behind it, and then corrected yourself to something else, <laughs> but didn't bother to like delete the other part of the text. <laughs> That's me thinking on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would have been like, oh, I would have typed all that and been like, oh, no, 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 delete, 
<laughs> Manhattans, because they both take place in Manhattan. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm the Ernest Hemingway of this group to your Charles Dickens. Sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's just talk about Party Girl. Let's get this over with. Second film of our double feature is Party Girl from 1995. Uh, Beloved by some. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of people who kind of swear by this movie. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Emily from Deadbeat Film Society. When they were here for Scorchy, we brought up the Parker Full of Posey. And she was like, I would 100% watch Party Girl with you. Oh. But we've had tough scheduling lately. So it was like, it was tough to just get the two of us in a room Mm -hmm. on the same day. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I would have loved to have her here talking about Party Girl with us. So, you know, Emily, you're here spiritually with us. Just quick shout out. It's a uh, it's an indie movie from 1995. Yeah, I feel like half the cast and crew is sort of making a satire of like the vapid nature of like entitled mid-90s children. Mm-hmm. And the other half is trying to make sort of a modern screwball comedy. Mhm. And unfortunately like the screwball comedy crowd sort of won over but it's like it's never really that funny no i have i didn't laugh at all (laughs) in fact if you just picture me arms crossed frowning that was my experience i'm really glad because i was watching it i got a little stone not a lot stone like Two hits on the vape, which is like what you do to like take the edge off. And I fell asleep so quickly. Jesus, this movie is just, I don't get it. I the, don't the get it. The second half is better than the first half. I'll give it that. Like, because I woke up and like, it's like, I still have 45 <laughs> minutes of this movie to go. And I got stoned again. And the second half was, was easier to stomach than the first half. Let's just give a quick overview. Mary, played by Parker Posey, she's the lead character. This is her being a lead in a movie. She's 1995 party girl in uh, New York. And she gets arrested for charging for people to come to an underground rave. And the only person who can bail her out is her godmother, who is a librarian. Uh, Judy or something. I didn't catch her name. But anyway, Mary pays off the debt by working at the library. After some, a long amount of time of her deciding... What am I going to do in my life? She decides, oh, I'm going to become a librarian. So that's the whole movie. Yeah, that's the whole movie. <laughs> so th- there are certain things that I like. So A, the beginning scene at like the little rave that she's having in her apartment. Bunch of like drag queens and trans people. Lady like, Bunny is in the first like two l- minutes. Lady Bunny as itself in the credits. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be here somewhere. I just, I just heard it drop. It's a little plastic baby boy in a noose. You know, the movie is not wholly without merit in in some respects, but... I guess, okay, I've I've just been shitting on this a lot, but I will say real fast, I've only seen this movie twice. First time I was like 19, pretty young. Oh, okay. This time around, I still kind of hated it, (laughs) but was much more charmed by it. Okay, so the first time I saw it was like three years ago, mm-hmm. and I had roughly the same reaction this time around. <laughs> I got I was a little more charmed by it this time. It still sucks. I think this movie sucks. <laughs> I, I also think this movie sucks. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I was a little more susceptible to its charms. Well, A, I love her fashion. 
Like, she's always dressed to kill. Yeah, and that's why people like this movie partially. It's like, it is a time capsule of 90s fashion, and she looks cool. There's a part where it's like, she's, like, hit on hard times, and she's having to, like, sell her clothes yeah. in order to make rent. And they're like, <laughs> I won't take this. That's vintage. It's not designer. There was a time when clothing stores didn't buy vintage clothing. I don't know. It's New York. <laughs> like, I understand that, like, yeah, I guess there's, like, boutique or, like, secondhand boutique shops. Like, that's, like, a thing. But, I, like, I don't remember a time when vintage clothing wasn't sellable clothes. I don't know. But even after that, after, like, she sells all her designer clothes, she's still dressed. Like, I know. Amazingly. She still looks great. No. Just... <laughs> absolutely fabulous every scene also like they don't say what she did for a living before becoming a librarian i just don't see her ever having a job how did she afford designer clothes like i understand like oh she she had the choice between designer clothes and rent and she chose designer clothes but it's like designer clothes are expensive <laughs> well you get the impression much more expensive than rent you get the impression that maybe she steals them because there is that scene where she's at some uh stockbroker's party with her gay friend who which I, one? The one who's like her fashion buddy who keeps worrying about Brent or Brenda or whatever. Kirk. Kirk. Or whatever his name Whatever is. his name ended up being. But he uh, he takes her to some like uh, stockbroker's party and she's going through the closet and eventually steals mm, some clothes. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you kind of get the impression that like she goes to these parties and takes things. Okay. So, you know, a loathsome type of person. <laughs> but uh, you don't get a real three-dimensional picture of this girl <laughs> no i i mean i don't think there's a three-dimensional character in this role honestly i feel like parker posey and maybe like some of the the crew were like this is like an indictment of like shallow 90s like culture like this is a privileged youth why don't you get a job as a waitress i am not a waitress like f- fuck you like <laughs> I found that to be, like, really classist and off-putting. So, like, part of me was like, oh, this is an indictment of, like, that sort of entitled sort of mid-90s culture that was, like, they grew up fairly wealthy or upper middle class at the very least, mm-hmm. and they feel like they're too good to, like, work a blue-collar job, which they are not, like. Yeah. And, like, you know, I feel like Parker Posey's, like, on that side and, like, you know, the screenwriter's on that side, but, like, everyone else isn't quite understanding that wavelength of the film i realized this time around my main problem with this movie is that it never strikes a consistent tone mm-hmm. like there are times when parker posey's character mary is really abrasive and shitty but then also really warm and then like the the librarian too like i, I just she's sometimes very nice but then she's like you know, there's one point when she invites Parker Posey to dinner and then Parker Posey's a piece of shit to her. Howard Ann and I thought you might like to go out to dinner with us. I'm going out. I don't want to limit our relationship to work. I'm going out. And then there's a part when she's a bitch where she's like, she tells her it's very difficult to learn library skills. And then when Parker Posey messes up, she's like, A trained monkey learned this system on BBS in a matter of hours. And it's like, you told her it was hard to learn. <laughs> Like, there's no there's no middle ground, you know? Yeah. Like, nobody's a shaded character. And th- it seems like these characters are at odds with themselves. Like, I, do, I did read up on the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. Because I honestly, I feel like that would be 
not that the system itself would be hard to learn. Like, I feel like you could sit down and, like, buckle down and learn the mechanics of the system just fine. Yeah. And while I was watching, I was like, well, how do they decide? Like, if a new book comes in, like, how do they decide what coding it, it gets? And they, like, they even kind of mention it in the movie a little bit that's like, uh, coding is like a uh, upper level, like librarian skill. Right. Well, she like, says you have to get a master's in library sciences yeah. to be a librarian. And I also, I like, I honestly know like a couple like true blue librarians. Yeah. And like they had to work at it for a while. Like it's not just knowing books. Yeah. Like you have to like know like the science behind it. Yeah. And there is that line that uh, the the godmother talks about how like <laughs> I want to say that his name is Dewey Decimal. <laughs> Uh, Let's go with that. But no, it was <laughs> John Dewey or something like that. So, no, it's so, <laughs> uh, Andy Dewey. Andy Dewey sausage. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like a Marshall Decimal or something. <laughs> uh, that he hired a bunch of women to do it. Yeah. Uh, because he thought that it was like mindless, easy work and that even women could do it. And that's right. why librarians are generally underpaid. Because and then there's a stigma that work. now it's a woman's job. Yeah. 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 That was actually an interesting I really point. I that one speech that <laughs> Me she too. gave. Melville Dewey hired women as librarians because he believed the job didn't require any intelligence. It was a woman's job. That means it's underpaid and undervalued. That was a point... That I liked in the movie. Yeah. It, and also, this movie, what we should mention, this movie was directed by a woman, which I didn't write her I name didn't write down. Her name now. God damn it. But, uh... I also liked when Parker Posey organized her, who I thought was gay, but then was... Got a thing for uh, that, uh... Venus? Yeah, the African-American, like, pole dancer. Oh, my God, what's his... What's that actor's name? I know this. He's in Nowhere. Oh, is You would really? know you've never seen it. Um... <laughs> Guillermo Diaz, uh, who I think is oddly attractive a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh well. Wait till I make you watch Nowhere. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, he plays a gay in that. <gasps> and it's roughly the same time. That's like ninety-seven. So two years later. Oof. Yeah, he's cute. Uh, but she organizes his music collection by the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. But even he has a fucking problem. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, as someone who used to manage a record store and still has literally three thousand CDs. I also sort of organize obsessively like that. Like I have my classical music set out into time period. Oddly enough, I don't organize my DVDs in any sort of... They're alphabetical. Loosely. Well, one of them is. (laughs) One bookshelf of them is. (laughs) Uh, But it's like classical music. I got like Baroque, classical, romantic, modern, and like set out into like subsections there within. So like I appreciate that like aspect of like... Especially because, like, electronic music has, like, a lot of subgenres. So I appreciate that. Like, I feel like electronic music, more than most other genres, requires a strong level of organization. Yeah. So when she did that, I was like, no, that collection needs it. And this goes back to me saying the tone is off in this movie because when she does reorganize it, his reaction is, You bitch! You fucking bitch! You have ruined my life, you know that? You ruined my fucking life! And it's like, that is not what is called for in that moment. He's a DJ. <laughs> Jesus. She, she maybe screwed one DJ gig for you. I know you don't like female comedians, so you wouldn't have heard this joke, but on uh, Inside Amy Schumer. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. 
<laughs> there's a joke where I don't even remember what the the context is, but she's she's just worried about having a kid, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, just what if he grows up to be like terrible, like a rapist or a DJ? Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. That that's just what I mean. Like this movie, I never know what to feel for these characters because they're kind of like. Yeah, like coked out all the time or not coked out where it's like you don't know what which version of them you're gonna get or don't have enough coke in their yes, system you don't know which one you're gonna get and it's like i don't like you like I don't the, like the, people the like lebanese falafel falafel cart oh my god mustafa concierge mustafa he's he's worst so actor. hot he's the worst actor but yeah he cannot emote if his life depended on it look i think maybe you misunderstand you know you meet a vendor who speaks funny english for you it's like taking a holiday, travel, without buying the airplane ticket. I cannot agree with this, so can you go? Ah, but he's so pretty. And I mean, that said, I read some some stuff about this movie, and it sounds like there were... I guess this was from an interview with Parker Posey that I saw where, uh, where she's, like, talking about characters she played, and she's like, there were moments where it's like we have film in the camera and we have one take. So mm. get it in one, because that's all we've got. And it shows. I mean, it sounds like normally a director would be able to be like, let's try it this way. Let's try it this way. Let's try it this way. You know, because then you can do several takes. But it sounds like with this movie, they were like, we just have to go with what we have. Yeah. And so that would explain the uneven tone of it. I don't think it excuses it (laughs) because it it drives me nuts. But um, that's fair. Also, just like the style of it in that there is... All the shots, everyone's, like, really far away. They're, like, medium shots, I think, is the word you use for it. Okay, yeah. And it feels, it makes, it distances me as the audience member. I feel too far away from these characters Mm -hmm. so that it makes it difficult to care for them. I guess my bottom line is I like the story, but I don't think it was executed well. What do you think of Parker Posey's singing when she's singing that Lebanese song? I, Do you think that was funny or endearing? I or? think that combined with the party that she eventually throws is probably why 9-11 happened. <laughs> <laughs> party girl is responsible for 9-11. You heard it here first. <laughs> they drove those planes into the building trying to get the party girl. <laughs> yeah they were like they saw that movie and they're like fuck this country. inside united 91 they just had pictures of parker posey they're like this is our target <laughs> i mean it's so offensive <laughs> they're just playing that and then they're like a lot bark i didn't even think about that the offensive nature of it i just thought about how stupid it was and how long it kept going (laughs) forever it's like the movie was like 99 minutes but like nine minutes of it were her singing (laughs) (laughs) and there's a part of me that's like good job for selling that parker but oh it's like cringeworthy yeah nowadays it's really rough there is one part at one of the parties where the dude's djing at 
where she gets a little pissed off. I don't even quite remember why. And she goes. He's to get... only playing house. It was, it, she convinced him like to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Like I can't tell if someone's only playing house. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of stupid <laughs> electronic subgenres. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, you're only playing footwork? Is this uh, dubstep? Because I want dub beat. Uh, dubstep. This is probably the oldest joke by now, but like, is it really anything other than just like, wob, 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 wob? No, here's a joke for you. Uh, what What are the two things you need to make techno music? I don't know. Boots and cats. <laughs> boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats. Oh, man. Those beats were my kids. I keep them home from school because those beats are sick. <laughs> but at that party, she goes and like wants to get drugs. Yeah. Oh, that's a great line. I would like a nice, powerful, mind-altering substance, preferably something that would make my unborn children grow gills. I like that. Like sometimes, like you get pissed, you get really pissed off at whatever. Usually, when you're drunk. I had a night like this the other night, and you just want to. Fuck yourself up, so you what, don't have to. What did you do? I ate an entire weed cookie, which I normally ate half of. Okay. I drank a martini, two big beers, and then another martini, and then I watched West Side Story. <laughs> See, I feel like alcohol smooths out pot. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I always feel like if I get too stoned, if I have like a drink or two, it like brings me back down to earth. Like, it cuts down on like. The craziness of pot. I like. I mean, I like the combo. You know, I'm not. I'm not Bill Maher, and what his advice is is don't combine the two. I think you can, as long as you're judicious about it. Well, I'm gonna stick to my advice of never taking drug advice from Bill Maher. No, the weed. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> no, the, the weed alcohol combo is a pretty good combo. Like, obviously, don't do either in excess. As you should not do. Any drug in excess, and you should not combine drugs in excess ever. Nor do anything that the lead singer of In Excess did. <laughs> but yeah, I like that line. They do drop the F bomb in this. Listen to me. Don't hey, give me your faggot listen. shit, Derek. Don't be a faggot. Don't bag out. It doesn't feel like friendly. It, yeah, it doesn't feel earned right. in any way. So the first time I saw this movie, I had just recently come out like a couple, maybe a year, maybe a couple months, not even a year. And watching it, A, I had some internalized homophobia because I really didn't like her friend character that was into fashion. Mm, kind of hot. I mean, yeah, but I also had a lot of problems with him. This time, I just thought he was vapid, which he is, but... I didn't hate him. Like He's super one-dimensional. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I didn't. he is the gay friend, and that's it. Yeah. I didn't hate him like I did before. But that line when she's like, don't be a faggot, don't fag out, I remember offending me then, and it still offends me, because it doesn't feel like they have that kind of relationship where she can say that, where she can say that to him. It really, sound, it really feels like she's being a bitch. <laughs> and it's like, this is our main character, and this is happening three quarters of the way through the movie i shouldn't hate my main character this far into it yeah it's like part of me feels like oh it's it'd be wrong to say that now but it was kind of wrong to say that then it doesn't endear me to her and it it makes me like her less and i don't want to be liking her less at that point in the movie yeah because i already kind of hate her (laughs) you know yeah 
She's it, not cool to me. She seems shitty. When when we reviewed Heather's and Jawbreaker when uh, Bettina was here, mm-hmm. one of the first questions I asked her was, were the 90s really this stylish? Or like, was high school, like, did women really dress this, like, in this manner? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't remember it being that way, but, you know, obviously I didn't go to every high school. Parker Posey dresses she has designer clothes like that's what she's selling at that store at that one scene and I don't know it just kind of feels like this is one of those movies that's like this is made by the people in like that certain bubble who like the upper middle class bubble of like the late 80s to early 90s and it's like either you were in it or you weren't and I was not so like it just looks to me like straight up classism and i don't know somebody watched this movie because it is sort of a cult hit like there are a lot of people who like it but it debuted on the internet i don't know if that makes a difference for people it debuted on the internet yeah 1995 the internet was a baby that would explain the uh sort of uh money for nothing type graphics in the opening (laughs) credits oh jesus i don't want to talk about those but it debuted here in seattle actually so it uh on the seattle internet (laughs) no it was uh launched as part of sif here at some like popco i want to say was the company and so it launched on the internet and then like a couple minutes later was projected on the screen at its premiere at the Egyptian for Sif. Oh, wow. I know. Crazy, right? That's one of those things that I find that crazy that they don't like promote all the time because usually Sif is big on promoting movies that they premiered. They're like, probably it, embarrassed by this. <laughs> I was going to say like y- you'll see like Robo Geisha in their ads. <laughs> But I, I figured that, you know, a big Parker Posey movie, they'd be touting up and down, but I guess not. That that almost feels gimmicky to me, where it's like, hey, guys, here's a movie that's premiering on the internet. Like, that makes it less special to mm. me, because it seems like it needs that bump. It needs that, like, we need to make this a special... I'm really glad. I was really worried that I was going to, like, have to be finding good things to say about this movie. I was like, oh, what if, like, Ryan loves this movie? No, I think it's garbage. So, like I said, I was a little more charmed by it this time. I can maybe see why people enjoy it. And regardless of how bad the premise and everything about this movie is... Parker Posey is a fucking star in it. Yeah. She is so, she is really good. She sells every scene she's in without overacting too. Like it just feels real. I know that this wasn't like her choice. Like I'm sure there was a, like a fashion designer on set, but like every scene she looks great. Like she is immaculately dressed. Even when like she makes the conversion over to librarian and she's supposed to look like a dowdy, asexual nobody. She still looks great. Well, she's talked about that in interviews where she's like, some of it was uh, stuff they bought. Some of it was things that the cast owned. And some of it was her own stuff. Like oh. That, that pearl looking outfit that she wears with the button up. That's hers. Oh. Yeah. So this brings me to my theory that her character here is the same character in the Louie episodes. <laughs>
because she ends up being a librarian at the end of Party Girl, and in the Louis episode, she's working in a bookstore. Oh my God! <laughs> in New, New York. York. Age appropriate. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, um, her mom dies at one point. Yeah. In Party Girl, she mentions that her mom died a couple her years ago. Her mom, who was a woman with no common sense. <laughs> yeah. Which we know because Judy mentioned it so many times it could be a drinking game. She was a woman with no common sense. Dies. And her mom is not mentioned at all in the Louis C.K. episode. Yeah. Except how bad she was at coping with Liz's carcinoma indeed yeah, yeah, yeah so i mean the names don't match up but she also in the louis ck episode says her name is tape recorder That's, so yeah she could be lying at any point yeah it's like they're both like manhattan women like they're both like playing their age in these times and like they're both related to books <laughs> both related to books and parker posey in louis she talked about how she used to date people for looks and how that ended or that, that resulted in a really shitty lifestyle. Yeah. So she doesn't do that anymore. So she she hooked up with Mustafa, and mm-hmm. it just did not work. Yeah, because it's like she was dating Liv, Shri- Liv Shriver Schreiber. Oh, my God. We haven't talked about that yet, but... What's to talk about? He's in the movie, like, four times. Well, just that there are men who, when denied sexual stuff with women oh, turn yeah. violent. Yeah. And you don't see that very often, especially in this way where it's like she she doesn't get hurt, thankfully. Like I don't want to see her get beaten up, but it's like he But she literally has to fight him off. Yeah. And and if she had not locked that door and made him not do that, you could see that turning to violence, mm-hmm. rape, and maybe murder, which is something that happens a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And it was kind of Interesting to see that turn of events because I like Lee Shriver and actually his character doesn't seem that bad until that moment. Yeah. And it's almost like I, I you know, I've been making this argument that like the tone of everybody's character is off, but for some reason that one seems accurate. Like he seems lovable and goofy until that moment. Until but it's like until sex is denied to him and then he's like a, a violent racist, yeah. yeah. And I, I buy that one. Yeah, that one seems absolutely I, I, accurate. Yeah, at no point did I think that that was out of character. Yeah. So he never gets like comeuppance, which is sad. No, I, I wanted to see him get arrested or at least beat up or something because he's a piece <laughs> of shit. Oh, anyway, yeah. So maybe that was like part of her trauma as Liz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like if we're still, we're still in this. Oh, and she mentions the punky haircut. So maybe that's what introduced her to the whole like cool party scene sure. in the first place. Yeah. I think we've had a breakthrough today. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I was able to put these pieces of the puzzle together for you. <laughs> not not for me, for the world. For the world. <laughs> Hashtag Liz is Mary. <laughs> in Louie, even like her sort of dowdy bookstore matron clothing is still super fashionable. I'm like, God, she looks great. Like, it, like she as a woman looks great, but like her fashion choices also look great. I'm like, fuck yeah. And then like, you know, at the very beginning when they go to that bar and she gets like shut down. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, she's still a party girl. Like, 
like I get it. She's got those party girl tendencies. Yeah. So I don't know. Part of me thinks that these might be the same character. Maybe, maybe that that like a uh, rooftop that they go to was a place that she had a party oh at at one point, God. and was like, "Look how beautiful this is." <sighs> and it reminds me of how I never wanted to die then, and I don't want to die now. <laughs> Parker Posey, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> love. Can that you bitch. believe she, she she pulled that out of her ass? <laughs> wow, love that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had a stripper gram? No, I really want to though. Like I really, really, really want to. And when I was watching this, I was like, maybe for Ryan's birthday. But I was like, I'll have to confer with Tim first. Wow. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Come on in, William! <laughs> I only want them to strip to a... Uh, what's the song that you feel should end every LGBT movie? Got to be real? Got to be real by Cheryl Lynn. <laughs> if, if, there, if I'm ever lucky enough to have a, a stripper gram, that's what I want them to strip to. Noted. Okay. I don't. I don't want a policeman stripper though. Like I don't want to get handcuffed to anything. Yeah, that feels weird. So uh, I could do sexy doctor. I could do that. Mm. You know. But then you he have to take be my like temperature in a doctor's office. Like it feels like a weird situation to have a doctor in your home. Like yeah, then I, you're I, guess, I guess with police, it's like they're coming to break up the party. But like if a doctor came, <laughs> what are some other? I oh okay, I got it. I'm going to do it with an Uber Eats uh, driver <laughs> who's delivering McDonald's to you. No, I'd be so embarrassed because he'd come in with like fries and a Rolo McFlurry. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, actually, I'm just hungry. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't need this right now. Because I'd totally be eating it while he'd be like grinding up on me. It would just make me feel awkward. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't stop eating, but <laughs> could so. I pull, pour the Rolo McFlurry over him and lick it off him? I'll clear it first, <laughs> but yes. We okay. can't even talk about this movie for like a full 40 minutes. I know it sucked. So let's just like call it a day. So this was the end of season six. And our problematic season. Thank God no other movies will be problematic <laughs> after this. Assuming that no other actor has ever done anything appropriate, inappropriate with an actress ever. We'll Not- be fine. <laughs> Are you ready to hear about what I'm going to throw on us? Yeah, for th- I, I really want to know what, what you're starting out season seven with. Season seven. I think we haven't done a neo-noir in a while, and I'm interested in doing one. And I want to do The Grifters. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I feel like that's a fun movie to talk about. Angelica Houston at her best. That's one that's sort of uh, been in the back of my mind for a while. Okay. And I've been like wanting to work it in, especially now that like I've been doing like a lot of themes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, do I want to do like a noir theme? Do I want to do like an erotic thriller thing? Yeah. And like Grifters has always been like on like the back burner of both those things. So yeah. I also, you're going to hear some Stephen Frears love from me. So I don't know how you feel about him. Stephen Frears used to be a great director. Maybe still is. 
We'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about it next week, I guess. Or yeah, in two weeks after the break. That's the we're, talking talking about. About. <laughs> we're talking about the grifters. Angelica Houston, when Stephen Fierce was a good director. Let's plug our junk, man. Okay. So you already rated and reviewed and subscribed at and the beginning of the podcast. And we love you for it. Thank you. So we don't even need to say that again. So we'll just go straight to check out our new website at xratedmovies.com. There's a bunch of stuff on there. Oh, so much stuff. All the stuffs. xratedmovies.com is X-Rated Movies Central. Follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies. Mm-hmm. You can also send us an email if you have some private information you want to send to us, like your digits or a penis pic at <laughs> x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Just mark those attention, Ryan. <laughs> Appreciate it. Follow us on Facebook. You know, like the page at Rated X Movies. And feel free to say your true feelings on the movies that we're picking. I we had a recent movie that was posted that had a lot of traffic on it, and it was nice to have a conversation about it on the social medias. Yeah, I kind of love it when people love or hate what we're mm-hmm. talking about. Like either extreme yeah. is, is pretty solid. Just let us know what you think. Either way, we love it. Coming up next in two weeks, we've got the Grifters. I'm excited. I'm excited too. And until then, we just got to say, love you, Parker. Keep being you. Love you, PP. Bye.